0: Good morning, everyone. Um, I'm Kat, and I have the privilege of speaking to you this morning from Nehemiah. So um, as Dan just said, we have these excellent um, Nehemiah notes. Um, and hopefully, um, you got to pick one up last week. But if you didn't, then um, grab one today. And actually, to get up to speed to where we are, um, on the 20, what are we today, the 29th? Um, we will probably only take you 20 minutes this afternoon, so um, it's great actually being able to preach to you and knowing that quite a lot of you will have already read um, Nehemiah chapter 1, which is what I'm speaking on this morning in the week, so you'll hopefully know a little bit about what I'm talking about. Um, So Matt kicked us off last week. He introduced um, Nehemiah as a series and the book of Nehemiah and the context that it was in. Um, And I'm going to speak just specifically from chapter one today. You may know the worship song Hosanna that has the lyrics in it: break my heart for what breaks yours, everything I am for your kingdom cause. And I absolutely love those lyrics. Maybe you do too. And whilst they're from a relatively contemporary worship song, I like to imagine Moses or William Wilberforce or Mother Teresa belting them out in their times of prayer and intercession. And I feel that these lyrics um, quite accurately sum up the theme of this morning's address, which is holy discontent. Bill Hybels defines holy discontent as when you experience an uneasiness about the brokenness of this world, which aligns with the heart of God, spurring you to take positive, relevant action. As in, you see an injustice in the world that you know that God is not okay with, and you feel called to partner with God and step up and step into it. So as I said, my my preach is based on chapter one. Nehemiah, he's a man on a mission, a man with a very real holy discontent of his own. And as well as introducing you to him this morning, I want to um, take the opportunity to introduce you to a couple of other inspirational people who have um, their own holy discontent that shapes their lives. So as we start in Nehemiah chapter one, we arrive at Nehemiah at the moment that he feels called to action. As we go through, I'm going to stop actually and pull out bits that tell us about um, Nehemiah and about his character and things about him. So if you're taking notes, these would be really good things to write down for you. If you're not normally a note taker, then you could start today. I find it really helpful for when I'm con- to help me concentrate listening to the preach, but also really helpful to make it look like you've listened to the preach when you're at house group. <laughs> So you've got notes, so you can write them down there. So here's Nehemiah. He's living his life of luxury in a Persian palace, working as cupbearer to the king, taste-testing the king's wine, when he receives some upsetting news from his brothers and others who have just returned from Jerusalem. So I'm going to read Nehemiah 1, to 1-3. The words of Nehemiah, the son of Hakaliah, So, Nehemiah has just learnt that Jerusalem is lying in ruin. The family of God are exposed to attack and they are being mocked by their surrounding nations. And now, he knew instantly that without the protection that this wall could offer, his people would merge into their neighboring cultures and lose their identity. Nehemiah knew that this would break God's heart and he couldn't stand to think of the Lord's name and God's people lying in ruin. So what does this tell us about Nehemiah? Firstly, it tells us that Nehemiah is thoughtful. He asks the question. He's not so caught up in his luxurious life that he doesn't think and remember others. How many times have I returned home from chatting with friends and I've realized that I forgot to ask after that big thing in their life? How embarrassed have I felt when I realized I spent the whole time discussing my silly bits and bobs that I didn't ask about their family or their big thing or them. Not Nehemiah, though, no. He remembers. He's connected. Maybe it's on his prayer list, but certainly it is on his heart. He might um, be living his best life, but that doesn't mean that he has forgotten his people and the promises of God. So let's read on to find out what happens next. Nehemiah 1.4 As soon as I heard these words, I sat down and wept and mourned for days, and I continued fasting and praying before the God of heaven. Nehemiah cried, he lamented, he mourned, he fasted, he prayed. What does this tell us about Nehemiah? It tells us, that Nehemiah allows himself to be broken. He didn't just hear the news and then just keep on doing what he was doing, going on about his day. No, the news broke him. There's many people in this church um, who carry a holy discontent, and I can see that it shapes their lives. And I've invited just one of them up to speak to us this morning, to share with us how God has broken her heart for, for his kingdom So, if I could just invite Chris to come up. Do you want to come stand (laughs) there? Yeah, go for it, thanks.
1: Um, Yeah, my name's Chris. um, My current holy discontent is centred on parents. Um, on how disempowered and uncertain some parents feel when faced with their child's emotional needs. This came out of a longer um, term, Holy Discontent, um, which was about wanting to see people get freedom from emotional suffering. Um, I don't need to say anything really about how apparent this need is post-pandemic. Um, I work as a child and adolescent psychiatrist, um, A psychiatrist, just for those who struggle to remember, is a medical doctor who, after medical school, trains in assessing and treating mental illness. Um, And i trained as an adult psychiatrist first off. um, And then I took six years off um, for the birth of our third child, Jed. um, And I didn't plan on ever going back, actually. Um, but following a change in circumstances, um, I, I did go back, but I got a nudge to go back and train um, a bit more as a child and adolescent psychiatrist. Um, and that was, that was quite a big thing, because I'd been training. I was like the eternal trainee. I'd trained and trained and trained, which is cool, because you get to see more patients that way. When you're a consultant, you have to do loads of other boring stuff that stops you seeing people quite so much. So I quite like being a trainee. Um, <laughs> But I did just feel God prompt me, because um, I've wrote down how many years I trained for, which is a bit shocking, but um, but actually I just felt God say um, it's really important that, um, you know, that I answer that question, because Kat asked me why I was placed well for my holy discontent, um, but it shouldn't be a discounting, like not having training, because if I'm honest, I would swap my training for godly wisdom, like it's... Godly wisdom. Just, I hear people who aren't trained at all speaking about things it's taken me decades to learn, and God's just given them that wisdom. So, please, I don't want any of this to speak um, for discount, discounting because God empowers. Um, so through this, um, my heart grew for helping parents and helping people in their marriages. Um, and a defining moment was when Sharon Hill. Um, prophesied that she saw me feeding birds in Trafalgar Square um, but they weren't the usual pigeons. Um, I was feeding other types of birds um, and as a child psychiatrist without some grandiose the obvious birds for me to feed are young people. Um, so this picture really confirmed my focus. I was pretty sure my call was to parents. Um, I've been working in a adolescent psychiatric unit ever since I became a consultant I did finally start doing all the boring stuff as well Um, probably the oldest person to ever become a consultant after lots of training Um, um, and I have a burning desire to help parents understand what is happening when their child struggles with life so they can use the knowledge of their child and their own creativity Um, and strengths to help their child. Um, I've been involved in service design um, and this holy content has spurred me to fight for services which are based around the home and the family and involve equipping and empowering parents as key objectives. And my heart is really excited and open to serve in other ways going forward, um, especially as part of a church family who want to bring God's love to our community and see people saved and set free. Yes, yes, yes. So excited, Holy Spirit. Um, I've learned two things recently. Firstly, there's a very important difference between holy discontent on the one hand and feeling grieved about something and wanting myself to stop feeling bad about that issue on the other hand. I'm just going to say that again. There's a really important difference between holy discontent on the one hand and feeling grieved about something and wanting to stop feeling bad about something. In a holy discontent, God does something supernatural so your heart breaks for what breaks his and then he offers you the opportunity to partner with him in what he's doing to address this. It's being in flow, it's being obedient and surrendering surrendering to him. I'm not saying it's an easy path. um, The Psalms have pretty much summed up my journey in this and the battle has been bloody even though the ultimate victory is won. But if I experience painful feelings when I see trauma and suffering all around me, And then try to problem-solve it because I can't bear it. Something different happens. The issue becomes a heavy load and I strive under my own strength and take responsibility for things that are God's responsibility. It goes badly and I start burning out. It's important to be honest and say I've done more of the striving and less of the flowing surrender. And I'm thankful that God has really woken me up to this recently. Throughout it all, I've been very aware of the prayerful support of my church family and the wise counsel of our elders. Sometimes the wise counsel of the elders is the only thing that's kept me going because they said it was a good idea what I was doing. Um, <laughs> maybe they just got me into a bit of a mess, but <laughs> but I knew it was a holy mess, so we we're all good. And I am beyond grateful. Secondly, God has recently reminded me that salvation is top of the list. People hearing and believing the gospel is top priority. This is the answer to the world's questions. All well-being builds on this. All emotional freedom comes from knowing who God is and who we are in him. And just lastly, I also need to remember that social justice isn't separate from salvation and signs and wonders. Jesus never separated these domains, and nor should I.
0: Thank you. Thank you so much, Chris. That was excellent. So I think what Chris has just said about the difference between being broken by your holy discontent and seeing trauma and trying to address it in our own strength is a really important point to make here. And in wisdom, she points out that it was prayerful support and wise counsel from the elders that allowed her to discern the difference in her own life. I think that without that partnership with God, your holy discontent is just a discontent And that runs the risk of being dark, stressful, and desperate. Nehemiah cried, he lamented, he mourned, he fasted, he prayed. He didn't cry, leave his job, pack his bags, and go. He stopped to partner with God. Jesus didn't come to earth and set about his own agenda, teaching, healing, and performing miracles in his own strength although he could have done. No, he was in constant partnership with the Father. Our world might not have time and space for sadness and grief and despair, but God does, and he gives us lament. The Bible teaches us lament. Matt Chandler describes it as a powerful emotional discharge that reorientates our heart around the person and work of Jesus Christ. In other words, lament gives us the opportunity to put the sadness and grief that we feel into the context of the gospel and ultimately move us to action. When we lament, the Spirit of God works in us. Scripture gives us lament as a way of fighting discouragement and despair and partnering with our Father. And that's exactly what Nehemiah did. So let's read on to see Nehemiah's prayer when he lamented. I'm going to read Nehemiah 1, 5 through to 11. And I said, O Lord God of heaven, the great and awesome God, who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments, let your ear be attentive and your eyes open to hear the prayer of your servant that I now pray before you day and night for the people of Israel, your servants confessing the sins of the people of Israel which we have sinned against you even I and my father's house have sinned we have acted very corruptly against you and have not kept the commandments the statutes the rules that you commanded your servant Moses remember the word that you commanded your servant Moses saying if you are unfaithful I will scatter you among the peoples but if you return to me and keep my commandments and do them Though your outcasts are in the uttermost parts of heaven, from there I will gather them and bring them to the place that I have chosen, to make my name dwell there. They are your servants and your people, whom you have redeemed by your great power and by your strong hand. O Lord, let your ear be attentive to the prayer of your servant, and to the prayer of your servants who delight to fear your name, and give success to your servant today, and grant him mercy in the sight of this man." Now I was cupbearer to the king. I think if this prayer tells us anything about Nehemiah is that he knows what he's doing when it comes to prayer. This is certainly not the first time he has prayed. Nehemiah prays and he knows scripture. In this prayer, we see adoration, thanksgiving, supplication, confession, basically the structure of the Lord's Prayer, but just 450 years earlier. Nehemiah was clearly experienced in spending time in God's presence and he knew how to connect with God on a deep level. His prayer paraphrases bits of Deuteronomy. He knows God's promises for his people and by praying them, he's reminding God and himself of what is going to happen. Praise, adoration, thanksgiving, quoting scripture, they're really important parts of this prayer. And while they might seem like fluffy word fillers, they're not. In addition to the glory and the honour that they give to the Lord, they speak truth, reassurance and promise over Nehemiah, lifting his eyes from the pit of despair to be able to see hope and a God that is bigger than his enemies'. Later on in the book, we see him praying on the go, sending up bullet prayers here and there as is necessary. But here, Nehemiah takes time to stop and press into God. What else does this prayer tell us about Nehemiah? It tells us that Nehemiah is not perfect and he knew it. Verses 6 to 7 says, We have acted very corruptly against you and have not kept the commandments, the statutes and the rules that you commanded your servant Moses. Now, we don't know exactly in what detail this sin looks like in Nehemiah's case, but we have got a whole host of history makers whose prayers might have been similar. Moses and David, to name but a few. In fact, reading even more recent um, biographies about history makers like Martin Luther King or William Wilberforce has really highlighted to me how God uses imperfect people to do his kingdom work. If God was looking for perfect people, he would be hard-pressed trying to find them because, in fact, we have all fallen short of the glory of God. None of us are perfect. The only thing that makes certain history makers different is that they don't let their past define their potential. I am not perfect, of which I am sure some of you will have borne witness to, and it's hard overcoming feelings of inadequacy as I stand up here to preach. But if I didn't, I would limit the plans that God has for me to walk in and for the blessings that he has got in store. Moses was a murderer, but he went on to rescue an entire nation out of slavery. That wouldn't have happened if he had discounted himself on account of his sin. So what else does it tell us about Nehemiah? Nehemiah was called within his gifting and experience. When even your lament is organised, that's got to tell you something about how organised you are as a person. Now, my point here is not that everyone needs to be organised, although it does help in life. But rather, that God has made Nehemiah specifically for his unique calling, As we'll learn over the coming weeks, Nehemiah has got a big task ahead of him. He has a wall to repair, a people to lead and bring order to. And God has made Nehemiah for this very purpose. Every moment leading up to this has all been in preparation. There's no coincidence that God called him to this and he just happened to possess all the right gifting. So at this point, I want to introduce you To somebody else, not here in person, um, but somebody else who I find inspiring, and that is Krish Kandaya. Maybe some of you will have heard of him. He was raised in Brighton, attended a local comprehensive school, and became a Christian as a teenager. He went to university and studied chemistry, missiology, and theology, and he did a PhD, became a lecturer, and did consulting for various um, NGOs. So soon after getting married, he and his wife were in Albania and they were walking through the streets on a cold winter's night when they saw something on the pavement that caught their eye. It was a tiny baby, no more than a few weeks old, lying wrapped up in a blanket on the street. They noticed as some passers-by dropped coins into the bowl next to the bundle and then disappeared off into the night. And then they too walked on by. But the thought of this baby never left their mind with the question. didn't expect this. What could we have done? Life moved on and he and his wife had three children and then God began to speak. Firstly, through inspiring friends in their 60s who began fostering, but then through countless Bible verses that called them to care for the widow, the orphan and the poor. They could no longer ignore their call to fostering and adoption and so their journey as a family began with a little baby, just a day old. Since then, over 30 children have passed through their homes, some just staying for one night, some have never left. And in addition to this, and probably the reason that you will have heard of Krish Kendia if you have, is that he founded the charity Home for Good, working to mobilise the church in the UK to respond to the needs of vulnerable children, which he directed until recently becoming the chair of the Adoption and Special Guardianship Leadership Board for the Department of Education. Krish has written 13 books. He speaks regularly on Radio 4, Radio 2, contributes to The Times and The Guardian, and he advises government policy. What's his holy discontent? Vulnerable children without the care and the protection of a safe, loving family. God's heart breaks for these little ones. And Chris has given his life to serving them. But do you see what God did there? He was experienced and competent in public speaking, researching, writing, and charity consultancy. God didn't call him to set up a charity and influence policy without the tools to be able to do it. They also had three children of their own before God spoke and called them into adoption and fostering. They knew what they were doing as much as any parent does. I find this so reassuring that God's not just going to throw us into something ill-equipped and beyond our remit. Our life, your life is a journey and God is doing a work in you. God to set out good works for us to step into every day. And I think that as long as you do that, then you can be assured that he is prepping, equipping, and gifting you uniquely for your calling. And finally, what else does this chapter tell us about Nehemiah? Well, the final sentence in this chapter tells us that Nehemiah is the cupbearer to the king. Nehemiah has a good, prestigious role in Persia. He was well-known, well-liked, but now God was calling him to a new thing. Far away from his comfort and his security, Nehemiah had a holy discontent that the name of God should be honoured and the people of God should be protected. Nehemiah is willing to count it all as loss. Later in the book of Nehemiah, we see others on the same mission called to build the bit of wall that's just outside their house. I think that the point here is less about how far or how much you would would need to lay down, but more about how willing you would be to do it. Like Nehemiah, Jesus had a good thing going, seated at the right hand of the king in heaven. But Jesus could see the heartbreak of God and hear the cry of his people. They needed saving, and he had all the skills to do it. Love, grace, and mercy. Jesus left his place in heaven and came to earth and gave his life for his holy discontent. What was it? What was his holy discontent? To see you apart from God. He gave everything he was for the kingdom's cause. So there we have it. Nehemiah, thoughtful, allows himself to be broken, Praise and read scripture, he's not perfect, he's called within his gifting, and he is willing to count it all as loss. I think if we were to look at anybody living their life out of their holy discontent, we would likely see the same attributes. And from this I think we can learn. And if we're honest with ourselves, I think we all have something that causes us to feel uneasy in our spirit something perhaps that causes us too much pain to look upon or just keeps churning over in our brains. For Nehemiah, it was people mocking God. For Krish, it was vulnerable children without a loving family. For Chris, it's parents and freedom from emotional suffering. Maybe some of you are sitting here thinking, well then I'm not sure if I have a holy discontent. Well then taking Nehemiah as an example, maybe You could ask questions, get intentionally thoughtful. Remember, Nehemiah remembered to ask the question. Start asking questions. Allow yourself to dig a little deeper into things that feel uncomfortable with for you, preferably without the use of social media. But contact charities or read books on the subject and then pray and read scripture. Ask God to break your heart for what Breaks his. Ezekiel thirty six twenty six says, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. Make this your prayer. Others of you here, me included, will feel your heart pumping, knowing exactly what your holy discontent is, but not yet walking in it. And if I was to point at you right now, you'd probably be able to tell me in a heartbeat, yes, this is it, but I don't know what to do with it. Well, then again, maybe we can learn from Nehemiah this morning. We can allow ourselves to be broken. We can contact charities, go to conferences, read books, dip our feet in. We could also give to these charities. Matthew 6.21 says, where your money is, there your heart will be also." Maybe your heart has broken for the gift day today. We could also lament. We can pray and we can read relevant scripture and we can ask God to break us for his kingdom's cause. Also, if you are discounting yourself from stepping out into your holy discontent because of perceived imperfections, can I just say that God sees you as perfect? Perfect. He's designed you uniquely for this calling, and you are being held back by lies. No history maker other than Jesus has ever been free from sin. Yes. But by the grace of God, we can do all things. Do not let your past define your potential. And others of you still know your holy discontent, and you're already walking in it. And I just want to say to you, well done. Keep going. We know that it's not easy, it takes sacrifice, and it is tough. But God is with you. Jesus has gone before you. He's left the throne room in heaven and walked your walk. He's proud of you. He has gifted you with all you need and he will continue to provide for you. So thank you. Chris Kandaya says that fostering was the most rewarding thing that we've done as a family. And Bill Hybels says a bad day lived from the energy of your discontent. Is far better than the best day lived anywhere else. My prayer for us today is that we take hold of Nehemiah's example, ultimately Christ's example, and we find joy in joining with God in doing his kingdom work. Thank you very much.
2: Wow, well done. Thank you very much. Um, just as the band come up, it just feels like a moment to, I don't know, just let some of that sit with us, isn't it? Um, yeah, if we're able to, maybe we'd stand. I'd love to pray for us and uh, and just let's bed some of these things in in prayer and give us a chance to really meet with God and for him to speak to us. Cat in... The end there said, pursue your discontentment. Let's, let's dig in this morning. There's no better time than if you've got something that you're already aware of to just again bring it to God and, and start to be bringing these big, big prayers. If you don't know what it is, then just start pressing in. As Kat said, ask those questions to God. What is this? What, what have you called me to, to not settle with, but to p- press into? And if you are pressing in something, then keep going. Heavenly Father, just as we... Uh, Lord, we we stand in this moment having heard uh, Nehemiah's story laid bare and and you speaking clearly and him responding. Lord, we we feel challenged. Lord, we want to be a part of your kingdom and what you're doing. God, I pray for some of us, would you lay afresh what you've called us to. Lord, we're sorry. Lord, we, we repent. We're sorry for where we have thrown away something you have asked of us. Lord, we again ask, Lord, would you melt our hearts? Would you melt our hearts for what you've called us to? Lord, we, we thank you for others who are just pressing on. Lord, we pray in this moment by your spirit, would you strengthen others? Would you strengthen us? We know you've called us. We need strengthening. We need fresh grace. We need fresh mercy. Yes, Holy Spirit, I just pray in this moment, would you move amongst us? I love the idea that you're calling some people afresh. You're encouraging others. You're resting on others. You're stirring new dreams in others. Lord, we just welcome you. Amen. Hey, my name's Dan Baptist and I'm lead pastor here at Jubilee Community Church. We really hope that something from this morning's word has blessed you and reached you. And if you'd like to talk about anything you've heard or just be able to talk about maybe faith or get some prayer, then please get in contact. You can email us, give us a call at the centre. And one of the team's going to get back to you. We'd love to do this especially if you're just thinking about what it is to become a Christian you want to sit down and really talk that through with anyone we also run regularly on a Sunday some joining the church courses and if you want to know more about Jubilee Community Church and what it is to belong here then you can just uh, find out online when the next one of those is going on and you can attend have a meal sit down talk about it we also have some amazing midweek group life Uh, where it's a great opportunity to dig further into your faith. Again, you can find out that on our website too. Anyway, just wanted to say hi and uh, bless you and we'll catch up soon.